You're listening to a message from our Sunday morning service at Hayes Hills Baptist Church, where we seek to bring life-changing hope to an ever-changing people through the unchanging gospel. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit hayeshills.com. Our prayer is that this message would serve to equip and empower you to live as a follower of Jesus in conjunction with your belonging to a local body of believers. Well, we're currently walking through our series on 1 Corinthians, which we'll be in for the majority of this year. We'd encourage you to follow along, and we hope that this message serves as a blessing to you. Cosmetic surgeons make their living by assisting people who are looking for a better body. And clients come into their offices because they, they've got an understanding in their mind of what a perfect body looks like, and they know that when they look at themselves in the mirror, this ain't it. And so the, the story is told of, of the young girl who's sitting in her grandfather's lap, and she reaches up and feels his wrinkled face, and she reaches down and kind of feels her own, uh, reaches back up, feels his wrinkled face, and rubs her own. And then she asks him, she says, Granddad, did God make you? He says, yes, uh, God made me a long time ago, honey, and, and he made you too. She said, uh, he's sure getting better at it, isn't he? <laughs> because as we age, our bodies change, don't they? Uh, wrinkles and veins appear out of nowhere. Our hair grows gray, it thins, it falls out. Our form and our, our, our silhouette that was once slender and sleek becomes a bit more rotund. And so what cosmetic surgery offers is an opportunity to, to turn back the clock to defy aging. It offers us perhaps a physique we've always wanted that we've never had. Uh, cosmetic surgery offers us a, a better body, and that is a compelling offer. And it's an offer that Christianity makes as well. Only Christianity doesn't say that in order to have a better body, you've got to undergo bodily surgery. Christianity teaches you've got to undergo bodily resurrection. And what Christianity teaches is a bodily resurrection that will happen on the day that Jesus returns. And all of those who have put their trust in him, they will have their body resurrected, transformed. They will be given a perfect ideal body. And so it's only natural that just as the, you know, the client who's considering cosmetic surgery wants to know, like, what am I going to look like after the procedure? Like, I know what my body looks like now, but I need to know. Like, you need to give me some assurance. You need to show me some pictures. Like, what am I going to look like afterwards? That in the same way, Christians looking to the resurrection of their bodies would have the question, like, what is my resurrected body going to be like? I know what I look like now, but what am I going to look like after the resurrection? Am I going to look like I did when I was 18, like, like I, I did when I was 38, when I was 58? Hopefully, I'm not going to look like I did when I was 88. You know, we're, we're kind of working these through in our mind. We, we wonder, are we going to be able to recognize one another after the resurrection? What will our resurrected bodies be like? And so the Apostle Paul answers that question for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, I want to encourage you to turn there, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
If you've got a digital device you can use to pull up the scriptures, I'd encourage you to search for the ESV, the English Standard Version. That's the translation of the Bible I'm going to be reading from this morning. And so if you just pull out that device and search ESV, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, you'll be able to follow right along with me. And I'm going to begin reading there in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians in verse 35. And these are the words of the Apostle Paul. He writes this. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And the grass withers and the flower fades But the word of our God will stand forever, and this is God's word to us today. And there in verse 35, two questions are raised. How are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? And it's those two questions that Paul is going to seek to answer in the verses that follow. And the first question, uh, how are the dead raised, is coming from a person who looks at the whole situation and says, look, I I can understand how a person's spirit might be raised to life and live forever, but how is it possible for a body to be resurrected? Because if your body is cremated and your ashes are spread into the sea, how can that body be resurrected? And if you're buried, it doesn't get much better because, as we saw last week, what the Bible teaches is a bodily resurrection that doesn't happen right now in heaven, but will happen right here in the future. And if you bury someone's body in the ground in 10 to 15 years, if you were to exhume that body, you would find no tissue. That body's going to begin decomposing. A hundred years from the day you bury them, their skeleton is going to be turned to dust. And so my great-grandfather has been in the ground long enough that if we were to dig into his grave, there would be nothing but dust. And so the question being asked is, how can a body be resurrected when there is nothing left of the body to be resurrected? Do you understand the question? 
And so it's important for us to understand that that our bodies are constantly in a state of flux. It's not just your, uh, you know, your hair and your nails that you cut as they grow. It's also the, the skin that you have. You know, this out, outer layer of skin you maybe learned in your biology class, hey, the epidermis, and you thought, hey, I never need that again. But maybe you remember that word. Did, did you know that a month from now, every cell that is on that outer layer of your skin, it will be gone and you will have all new cells? Did you know that the same is true with all of the cells in your gut? They cycle through every month. And so your body is not a particular set of molecules because those molecules are constantly changing. We have continuity of form, but we have discontinuity of matter. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, tried to illustrate this by saying, hey, you are like a, a curve of a waterfall. That's a good image. You're, you're like the curve of a waterfall. But to illustrate in a way that's more relatable to me, I think of my father restoring classic cars. Uh, we'd be driving along and my father would see the, the body of a Ford 1929 Model A sitting out in somebody's pasture. And we'd have to pull off and he'd go find them and he'd start talking to them and he'd strike up a deal, he'd purchase that car and we'd haul it back home. And because that that body had been sitting out in someone's pasture for the last, you know, 80 years. It was rusted out and filled with holes. And so he'd begin working on that body, and there was lots of Bondo work to be done, this uh, polymer body filler that you'd use to fill in the gaps so that eventually you could paint it. And if you've ever done some Bondo work, you know what that's like. And at the end, it felt like there was more Bondo than metal on that thing. And, And then, you know, he would put a new engine and new transmission, new interior, new tires. And by the time he was done with it, the thing looked as good as new. In fact, it looked better than it did when it was new. Hardly a single part that was original to that car, and yet it was the same car, was it not? Only it had been restored. If you will, it had been resurrected. And so what what Paul says here in this text is that if if you're going to understand how a body can be resurrected, you've got to first understand that bodies transform. That bodies transform. That's what he's saying there in in verses 36 and 37. He says, hey, uh, consider, consider a seed. So I brought this seed along with me this morning. I had someone suggest I use a strawberry seed, but I don't think you'd be able to see it from that distance. So I brought with me this avocado seed this morning. And, and if you didn't know how, how these worked, if all you were depending on was what you're looking at right here, right now, and I were to tell you, you know the body of this seed can transform into the body of an avocado tree? You'd say, you're crazy. Who do you think I am? I wasn't born yesterday. But... We all know that this is how the world works. We wouldn't believe it if we were just depending on looking at this body and determining what it's going to be. But we know that God has designed the body of plants such that when you bury them in the ground, they transform. They transform into the body of the plant that it's going to be. That's what he says there in verse 37. He says, what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. 
And, and Paul is saying, look, if, if we understand that God has so designed the world that bodies of seeds transform, bodies of plants transform when they are planted in the ground, it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't be surprising to you and me that he could do the same thing with the bodies, not of plants, but of people, because bodies transform. But then he says next in in verse 38 and verse 39, he says, not only do bodies transform, uh, bodies are also different. Bodies are different. He says, look, uh, verse 38, God gives it, the seed, a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Different seeds have different bodies. And it's not just true of seeds, it's also true of animals. He gives, you know, a body to birds and a body to fish and a different body to people. Bodies are different. But his point is that while, while bodies transform and bodies are different, every body is fit for the environment it lives in. And so uh, birds, for example, they have wings so that they can fly in the air. Fish, their bodies are different. They've got fins so that they can swim underwater. Those fish, they have gills so that they can breathe under that water. People have lungs. Our bodies have lungs so we can breathe in the air. Bodies transform. Bodies are different. But every body is fit for its environment. And so our bodies, verse 42, he says, it's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. The body that we have now, it is fit for the environment we live in. We live in a broken and fallen world. The bodies that we have are broken and fallen because of sin. But one day when Jesus returns, not only will he resurrect our bodies, he will resurrect the earth. And so our bodies will be transformed so that they are fit for the environment in which they will live. And eternal life requires an eternal body. And so he answers this first question, hey, how can you say that it's possible for a a body that's going to be turned to dust, how can that body possibly be resurrected? He says, look, you got to understand, bodies transform. And if God can do it with a seed, he can do it with the bodies of people just the same. And he will fit our resurrected body for the resurrected earth. And that brings us to the second question then, okay, well, what is the resurrected body going to be like? Uh, The way it's asked there in verse 35 is, with what kind of body do they come? And Paul, in verses 42 and following, lists four different ways in which your resurrected body will be different from your present body. Uh, First there in verse 42, he says that your resurrected body will be imperishable. It'll be imperishable. And, And that's good news Because you may be making new skin cells every month, but your skin doesn't look as young as it once did, did it? You're sitting there saying, "Ah, I don't know that I believe this whole skin cells change every month because my skin doesn't look young. It doesn't look like it used to. But you see, as those skin cells replicate, one cell misfires here and another cell misfires there. And those misfires are replicated until eventually our skin is scarred and wrinkled. We try to ignore it, deny it, but our bodies are perishable like the produce at HEB. We all have a limited shelf life. And we know that, we just try to put it out of our minds. 
And so the good news is that when the world is resurrected, new heaven, new earth, we will have a body that is fit for that environment. Eternal life, we will have an imperishable and eternal body. Next, he says, though, not only will that body be imperishable, it will be glorious there in verse 43. And can you imagine what that's going to be like for your body to be glorious? That every day when you look at yourself in the mirror, you're going to like everything that you see. I mean, you're going to wake up and you're going to say, I wonder what kind of hair day I'm having today. Oh, glorious. You know, you, you had a long night, you wake up, you're expecting bags under your eyes, and you think, what do I look like today? I look glorious. How, how is this happening? Like, I look glorious every single day. You're going to look at yourself in the mirror, and you are going to like everything that you see. There are going to be no parts that you want to hide or cover up. You're going to want to show the world everything that is there. Isn't that amazing? It's going to be glorious. He says uh, the resurrected body is going to be powerful. And that's important because it doesn't matter how many days you hit the gym. It doesn't matter how much weight you can lift. Your body is weak. You can be a ripped bodybuilder and all it takes is one tiny bacteria to have you curled up in a fetal position crying for your mommy because you're racked in pain. Right? Our, our, our bones, they break. Our vision decreases, our minds become confused, our bodies are weak. But the good news is that when Christ returns, he's not only going to raise our bodies from the dead by God's power, he's actually going to empower those same bodies by his power. Our bodies will be powerful. And then he says in verse 44, and it's for this reason, he says in verse 44, that your body will be spiritual. And by that, he doesn't mean that your body's going to be immaterial. You're going to be a spirit like a ghost. That would undermine everything Paul has been saying. Instead, what he's saying is your body will be supernatural. Instead of having a natural body, you will have a supernatural body that is empowered by the Spirit of God. And he says this because in verses 45 through 49, what he says is, look, just as we have borne the image of the first man, Adam, who is a man made of the dust of the earth, so too, for all of us who have put our trust in Jesus, we will bear the image of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who came from heaven. And so if we've born the image of the first Adam and our faith is in Jesus, we will bear also the image of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. So if you want to know what your resurrected body will be like, Paul is saying, your resurrected body is going to be like Christ's resurrected body, like Jesus's resurrected body. And that helps us answer some other questions that often come to mind when we start thinking about the resurrection. Like, will we be able to recognize one another? And when we look in the Gospels and we think about the resurrected body of Jesus, we can answer that question. Because we can ask the question, what were people able to recognize Jesus? And the answer is, yeah, but not at first. I mean, you think of Mary outside of the tomb. She comes across Jesus and encounters him, and at first she mistakes him for the gardener. Eventually she recognizes him, but she, she doesn't at first. You think of the two men who are walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and they spend all this time with Jesus. They're talking to him. It's not until they sit down and they're eating together that 
it dawns on them. The Spirit gives them understanding. They realize, man, this guy we've been talking to all this time is Jesus. Because Jesus' body has enough resemblance to his former body that he is recognizable. But it's not a direct correlation. He doesn't look exactly like he did before his death and resurrection. And if you wonder, like, well, how can that be? What is that like? The best way I know to illustrate it for you is to, to think of my high school yearbook. You know, if you were to have a copy of my high school yearbook and you were to find my senior picture, I don't look the way I did then. <laughs> uh, many of you, if there's much time at all that's passed since high school, if you were to look at your senior picture, you would have to admit, I don't look much like I did then either. And it's not just true of me, it's true of all of my classmates. And yet, if I were to go to my high school reunion 20 years later and I were to sit at a table with a buddy, he might lean over to me and say, hey, is that Stacy Peterson? I'd have to, you know, kind of look, maybe look two, three, four times and say, you know what? I think you're right. I think that is Stacy Peterson. She doesn't look exactly the same way that I remember her from high school, but there is enough resemblance there that she is recognizable. Um, the same will be true of you and me when we are resurrected from the dead. Our bodies will be different, but there will be enough of a resemblance that will be recognizable. I mean, in, in fact, um, Jesus, when he is raised from the dead, he still bears his scars, scars on his hands and his feet, uh, scars on his side where they ran him through with a spear. Isn't that interesting? I mean, have you ever paused to think about that, that here Jesus is, he's been resurrected, he's got his perfect body, the ideal body, glorified body, and he still bears scars. How could that be? But you know, in three weeks, we're going to sing that old hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns. And the third verse is one of my favorite lyrics of any hymn. And it goes like this. It says, Crown Him the Lord of love. Behold His hands and side. Rich wounds yet visible above. In beauty glorified. And what that hymn is speaking of is that there is something about the wounds of Jesus Christ that are glorious. That those scars on his hands and his feet are there for all eternity to the praise of his glorious grace. Because the good news of the gospel is that although we've all sinned, we've disobeyed God, we are deserving of death and hell. God the Son, Jesus, in love, entered into this world. He took on a body like you and I, and he lived a perfect life, and then he died on a cross. He was nailed to a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And three days later, on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead in victory over sin, death, and the devil, and he now lives offering forgiveness of sins, eternal life, adoption as the children of God to all who would stop trying to live life on their own terms and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to put my trust in you. And one day, Jesus will return, and all of us who have put our trust in Jesus, just like Jesus, we will be resurrected and we will be given resurrected bodies. Those bodies will transform and we will rule and reign with him forever. That's the good news of the gospel. And what the Bible is teaching us when Jesus 
rises with his perfect body and he's still got those scars is to say Jesus shouldn't be covering those scars up. They're not a badge of dishonor. They are a badge of his love for you and me. And so he will be praised for the rest of eternity because he bears those scars of love. And that means if our resurrected body is going to be like Christ's resurrected body, many of you may bear scars in heaven as well. You know, I I can think of the, the soldier who has a shrapnel wound because motivated by the love of Jesus, he risked his body to save his fellow soldiers. I can think of the persecuted Christian who because of her faith in Jesus and her witness for him, was imprisoned and tortured, back, scarred up because of what she endured because of her faith in Jesus. I think of the mother whose knees are worn from the hours that she has spent kneeling in prayer for her children. The the cosmetic surgeon would come along and say, hey, those are some marks that we can cover up. I, I can make it where no one sees that anymore. I can give you a better body. But Christianity comes along and says, those are not marks that you are to cover up. That's not what it means to have a glorious body. Those are marks that are to be on display for the rest of eternity because that's how the grace of Jesus Christ will be praised for all eternity. That you will look at yourself in the mirror and you will even see those scars and you will say, glorious. I look glorious because this is who Jesus is it is what Jesus has done in me and through me because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and so our our bodies man they're going to be raised and that means if this body is going to be raised like I don't get to just junk this body and get a new one, but it is this body that's going to be transformed. What I do, what you do in this body has eternal significance. And we got to be a good steward of this body. We ought to take care of the body, but to be a good steward of this body also means there are going to be some times where we need to risk this body for the good of others. Because after all, that's what Jesus did, isn't it? I mean, Jesus, he, he stewarded his body by laying his body down so that he might raise our bodies up. And if we are going to follow his example, if we're going to be good stewards of this body, we've got to be willing to suffer. We've got to be willing to give up our body, to put it on the line for the eternal good of others. And that's tough, isn't it? You know, last night I was spending some time with my sons and we were throwing paper airplanes in the house. And you know how boys are, like, that quickly changes because throwing paper airplanes is fun, but it's a lot more fun if you get to throw them at someone instead, you know. You might can cause some bodily harm that amps up the excitement. So uh, my sons came up with these rules. They said, okay, your target has to stand perfectly still. Can't move and you get to aim and throw. And, And if you hit them with the paper airplane, you get a point. If they flinch, you get another point. And you know what was going on in my house last night? A whole lot of flinching. (laughs) 
Now, no one was about to whip us. No one was about to hit us with a hammer. Like it was just a paper airplane. And yet there was a whole lot of flinching in our house. Now, why is that? It's because it is our natural predisposition to avoid pain and discomfort. Even something as small as being struck by, by a paper airplane in the face. Like We are not wired to risk our body, even for our own good, let alone the good of others. And if we were that terrible, if we flinched when it came to paper airplanes, how well do you think we're going to do if we're required to risk our bodies in a more dramatic way for the good of others? I mean, we can tell ourselves that we'll do it, but Maybe that's just wishful thinking. I mean, why why was it that Jesus didn't flinch? How could Jesus go to the cross and, and lay his body down so that he might raise our bodies up? Is it not this, that Jesus had complete confidence that he had all authority to lay his body down and to raise it back up again? And the reality is you will only be enabled to love others by putting your body at risk by giving up your perishable body, like you know your time is precious because you've got a shelf life. You're like the produce at H-E-B. And so if I give you some of my time, I'm losing out on that time for myself. And the only way you will be able to suffer physically being harmed, the only way you'll be able to suffer by giving up your time to love others is in proportion to the confidence you have in these questions being asked in verse 35. How are the dead raised and with what body will they come? It may feel like very philosophical questions, but they are actually immensely practical. Because you will be sent out on mission, you will be propelled as an ambassador for Jesus Christ to to love others and serve others well in direct proportion to the confidence you have that your body will be resurrected. And that when it is, it'll be imperishable, It'll be glorious, it'll be powerful, and it will be spiritual. I pray that we're able to love like that because we believe in a resurrection like this. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask that As we grow in understanding of the resurrection, God, it would give us greater confidence and and enable us more and more to, to love people right where we are, to be able to sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. We pray that we would be able to do it without flinching, but with faith in the resurrection. And we ask this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Hayes Hills Podcast Network. Feel free to follow us for more content. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit us at hayeshills.com.